Good morning. And as you're finding your seats, if you would, turn to Exodus chapter 18. Again, that's Exodus 18. And for how much I hate uh, breaking up your conversations, I'm glad we like each other enough to have conversations and that it's hard to get you seated. So, Exodus 18, we'll be starting in verse 19. Again, Exodus 18, verse 19. If you would read along with me. Now obey my voice, and I will give you advice. And God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statues and the laws. And make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people's people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure. And all the people, all this people also, will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose men, able men, out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, Almighty Lord, Lord, we pray this morning that you would open our eyes to the need of wisdom, God. That we would understand, Lord, that you have revealed truth to us, that you are a God that wants to reveal knowledge and wisdom, that in the book of James it says, if we ask for wisdom, you will generously give it. Lord, I pray that we are humble enough as a church, as a group of believers, Lord, to seek wisdom. That we would value wisdom more than gold and understanding more than silver. Lord, that we would seek those that have gone before us, asking questions, trying to learn, Lord, wisdom. God, I pray that we see Moses' example of humility and we examine our own hearts this morning, Lord, to see if we are humble enough to listen to others' advice. God, I pray that you're with us this morning. In your son's name, amen. Today, of course, we are going to continue through the book of Exodus, and in particular, chapter 18. As we saw last week, a very important chapter in the book of Exodus where a pagan priest, Jethro, ends up praising the name of Yahweh. And 
The author takes uh, much pains to show us many signs of genuine conversion in Jethro. Uh, This passage where we see, again, a pagan praising the name of Yahweh. A very important passage, chapter 18. Uh, Today we're going to look at the second half of this chapter. And I really want to start back in verse 1, though. So if you would, look at Exodus 18, verse 1. I know we went over this last week, but again, it says, and this chapter starts by saying, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law. Now, there's two titles given to Jethro, this character that is the main character in chapter 18. It's the priest of Midian and Moses' father-in-law. What's interesting is that after verse 1, Only the second title is used, Moses' father-in-law. The priest of Midian is not used anymore. And the second title, Moses' father-in-law, is used over and over and over again. Now, this is partly because in verse 11, Jethro really denounces all other gods but Yahweh. All other gods but Yahweh, making it pretty hard to be a pagan priest anymore. But also, this chapter really focuses on Moses' relationship with Jethro, that Jethro was Moses' father-in-law. It's important because our passage this morning really teaches us that God often directs his people, especially the individual, by the wisdom of others. Especially those that have gone before us, those that are older, those that are more experienced. And we would be wise... Again, as an individual, we would be wise ourselves to listen to them. Now, this is a countercultural thought. And we need to grasp this. This is actually a countercultural belief. One of the main ideologies that's absolutely destroying our country and our culture is the belief that wisdom is not found in the elderly but that wisdom is found in the youth. I've said this a number of times that the millennials are one of the most arrogant generations that have ever come. But I want you to understand this. Millennials are not just arrogant. They have been taught to be arrogant by our culture. They've been taught a philosophical ideology. They've been taught a a presupposition, a worldview that says they are wiser than the generations that have come before them. There has been a major shift within the last 50 years, a major cultural shift from what most cultures believe that wisdom is found in the aged and experienced. It's a shift that now sees the older generations that have gone before us as blind or corrupt. Corrupted by or blinded by such things as religion, Christianity, capitalism, racism, fundamentalism, conservatism, and so on. It's a philosophical ideology that can be traced to philosophers. I mean, it's a, it's a legitimate ideology, philosophers such as Hegel or Rousseau. It's a belief that the young, unlike adults, unlike the elderly, have not been corrupted by society and or religion. 
Therefore, the youth or the young are closer to untarnished, pure wisdom than adults. I mean, just watch any modern Disney movie. Or just watch any modern children's show. Who's always the fool, or who's always corrupt, or who's always blind? Who's the one that needs wisdom? It's always the parents. It's always the adults. Who are the wise and often the heroes of these shows? Children, the young, youth. And I just want to be clear, this is not an accident. This is an ideology. It's an ideology that's been taught. And the results of this ideology have been devastating. It's why we have a teenage girl going around the world in a boat lecturing world leaders about climate change. We laugh because it's madness, and our culture celebrates it. It's why students at universities are now lecturing professors about racism, equity, social justice. I mean, just try to speak out against any of these things, against social justice, against cultural Marxism at the university, and see what happens. Even if you're a professor, even if you live during the 60s and 70s, It's not just the universities. It's within our local schools. We're seeing a whole new level. I've been talking to administrators, counselors, campus securities. We're just seeing a whole new level of disrespect to authority, to teachers, to administrators within our local schools. Disrespect from students, again, towards teachers and administrators. Let me just give you one example. Could you imagine today in California, in a public school... If a teacher tried to tell a grade schooler, so I'm not even, not even junior high or high schooler, a grade schooler, that he's a boy if that student is claiming to be a girl, what would happen? What would happen if the teacher said, hey, knock that off, stop being foolish? Which, by the way, is wisdom. In fact, We're really starting to see the effort in public schools, and I don't want to just pick on public schools, other places too, and you're going to see this in the doctor's office, in hospitals. We're seeing an effort to separate children from their parents. Why? Because our culture believes philosophically that parents should have no say in their children's education, especially on topics such as sexuality, and or sexual identity. Just look what's happening in Florida right now. Or abortion. Most leaders in California believe that parents should have no say, should have no say if their children, their child wants to get an abortion or not. They should be left out of the decision. Why? Why does our culture believe this? It's a philosophical belief. The ideology that wisdom resides in the youth, not the old, not the adults, not the parents, not the grandparents. Therefore, parents should have no say on subjects such as sex, sexual orientation, and or abortion. Because parents are corrupt, and teens and youth are the wise. 
and they are wise enough to make these decisions on their own. Let me just say this, and this should be obvious. This completely goes against the biblical worldview. Proverbs 13.1 says, A wise son hears his father's instructions. Let me just stop. If you're under 25 and you're listening right now, in fact, if your kids are in Sunday school, you have permission to go get them and bring them back in here because they need to hear the sermon. And if you don't do that, make sure you get the recording and, and make them sit down and listen to this sermon. If you're under the age of 25, you need to hear this. Listen to us. Don't buy into the lies of the culture. It will lead to destruction. Ephesians 6.1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. What's the promise? Verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Proverbs 4.7 says, The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Do you hear that? Again, I'm talking to, to you teenagers. If you're a preteen, if you're in grade school, listen to me. Get wisdom. You're not born with wisdom. It's learned. It's given by God. And often... God gives it through parents and grandparents. Often, God gives that wisdom through those that have gone before us, the elderly. Again, if you're under 25, in fact, if you're over 25, get wisdom. Seek wisdom. Strive after wisdom. Proverbs 16, 16 says this, How much better to get wisdom than gold? Did you hear that? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Job 12, 12 says, Wisdom is with the age and understanding in length of days. It's with the elderly. Let me just make it very clear that this is wisdom literature. So it means this is a general truth. It means that not every single person that's old has wisdom. But generally speaking, especially in the church, wisdom is with the aged. We should honor, respect, and listen to those that have gone before us. And thankfully today, we have a great model of a man who recognized wisdom and was humble enough to listen to wisdom. And this man's name is Moses. At four points of the sermon this morning, Israel's problem, Jethro's advice, Jethro's wisdom, and finally, Moses' humility. So let's start with Israel's problem. If you would look at Exodus chapter 18, verse 13. We left that Chapter 12 last week, verse 13, is where we'll start this week. It says this, the next day, let me just stop right there. That's intended to be in there to tell you that, that Moses didn't have a chance to take a day off. And he just got reunited with his wife and children. And the very next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. In verse 13 really paints this picture of people coming to Moses nonstop. Moses resolving 
personal issues, disagreements, and conflicts, both small and big. Moses was the lone judge in all of Israel. Now, this might not sound like a big deal, but remember, at this point, Israel is well over a million people. Just think about it this way. There's about 900,000 people in all of Kern County. Could you imagine if there was only one person, one person to resolve conflict? There was no government, no police, no courts. What would eventually happen? Chaos, anarchy. People would get frustrated and start taking matters into their own hands. Needless to say, this wasn't a healthy structure that Moses found himself in as he was leading the Israelites. So look at verse 14. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? Jethro recognized this wasn't a, a, a good structure. Listen how Moses responds in verse 15. Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people came to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statues of God and his laws. In other words, people come to me, I listen, I listen to their disputes, their conflicts, then I go to the statues of God and and his laws, and I judge, I guide them. Now, in my opinion, and I think the text shows this, I don't think Moses had some kind of false sense of self-importance, that he had to have a hand in every decision that was made, large and small. He wasn't, in in other words, a micromanager. Uh, The evidence of this is because we see extreme humility in Moses. In fact, my last point is Moses' humility. I believe that Moses just didn't know any better. And because think about it, what did Moses do for 40 years in Midian? He was a shepherd. He shepherded sheep for 40 years. He would watch over a flock, protecting them, guiding them, right, caring for them. It's what Moses knew, and he was trying to do the same thing for Israel. But look at what Jethro tells Moses, verse 17. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For the, the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Again, Moses was a shepherd, but Moses' flock was not a million sheep. Just think about that. Can you imagine one shepherd trying to take care of a million sheep? What would happen? Well, first, he'd be overwhelmed. But second, he would put the whole flock in danger. There's too many. I mean, this is Jethro's main point. Again, verse 17. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you certainly, or uh, you will certainly wear yourselves out. I want you to pay attention to what Jethro says here. He says, Both Moses and the people are in danger of harm. Did you see that? He says, You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves, plural, out. Just a side note, in this passage, I, I just really believe that Jethro had a heart for God's people. 
Again, it's another sign that Jethro was truly converted. Um, it's why he spoke up. He didn't want to see Moses and God's people. Right? He obviously loved Moses, but he also had a concern for God's people. He didn't want to see either one of them fall into harm. So he sees this problem, and he speaks up, right? Moses and the people are going to get worn out. Moses had an unsustainable leadership model. Something needed to change. So this leads us to our second point this morning, Jethro's advice. If you would, look at verse 19. Jethro's advice, he says this, Now obey my voice, and I will give you advice, and God be with you. Now, I just want to stop here and point something out. There's no evidence in chapter 18 that Jethro's advice came straight to God. In other words, God went to Jethro and Jethro went to Moses. It seems like Jethro was just passing down wisdom from his life experience to his son-in-law, Moses. And the author of Exodus, and, which is Moses, but also inspired by God, really paints this wisdom positively in other words, it gets painted as good advice, good wisdom passed down to Moses. But I want to point something out because Jethro, at the same time, he understands that if God's not part of the plan, part of the advice that he's given, then it will fail. He understood that no matter how wise the advice is, or no matter how good a plan may, may be, no matter how how prepared one is to accomplish a task without God, without his intervention, without his hand empowerment, without the Spirit, then it's all empty. Jethro's advice is empty without God's involvement. Jethro seemed to have a good understanding of this. He starts his advice by saying in verse 19, Now obey my voice, and I will give you advice, and God be with you. And at the very end of his advice, look at verse 23. He says this, If you do this, God will direct you. He's saying only if God is involved, if he's with you and he's directing you, will this work. Which brings up an interesting theological truth that I think we see in this passage, really a mystery in how our responsibility to plan well, to lead well, to use and gain wisdom, right? how our responsibility and how God's sovereignty go together. And that both are true. We see this clearly in Scripture that we are responsible. We are responsible to make good choices. We are responsible for the advice we take or don't take. We are responsible to plan well, work hard. We are responsible, yet at the very same time, God is completely sovereign over everything, even our lives, even our choices. Theologians call this truth the doctrine of com compatibilism, that God's sovereignty and man's responsibility are compatible. In other words, they go hand in hand. They are in harmony. In other words, Moses was responsible to lead well to listen to this advice, this good advice given to him. And that is in complete harmony with God's sovereignty that the outcome of Israel's fate ultimately depends on God. I think this is just clearly seen in, in Jethro's advice. Again, look at verse 19. He says this, Now obey my voice, and I will give you advice, and God be with you. There's harmony there. 
You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statues and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Jethro had a, a good grasp of, of Moses' two most important jobs. Right? First, Moses was called to represent God to the people. We see that in verse 20. Look at verse 20. He says this, And you, he's talking to Moses, And you, Moses, shall warn them, that's Israel, and you shall warn them about the statues and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Right? Moses was God's representative. He represented God to the people. He went and taught God's law to the people. But at the same time, Moses also represented the people to God. Look at verse 19. Now obey my voice, and I'll give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. Moses was called to represent the people before God, to plead on their behalf, to intercede for Israel. Moses was a mediator. He was a go-between. He represented God to man, and he also represented man to God. Just think about it. How did God communicate with Israel? He would speak to Moses and then send Moses to the people. In fact, the law was written on tablets, but then the law was written down by who in the Pentateuch? Moses. God would communicate to Moses, and Moses would go down the mountain, as we will see, and communicate what God said to them to the people. How did the people communicate with God? They would talk to Moses, and Moses would ascend the mountain, and he would bring what the people had said to God. In Exodus, Moses is a mediator, and this becomes a very important theme, especially in the next few chapters, chapter 19 through 24, but honestly, 19 all the way to the end of Exodus, Moses is the go-between between God and Israel. This is extremely important because it points us straight to Jesus. It points us to Jesus. For the Israelites, there was only one way to God, through Moses. He was the go-between. But in Hebrews 3, it tells us that Jesus is the truer and better Moses. That Moses' life as mediator pointed not only Israel, but points us to Jesus. For us, there is only one way to God, and that's Jesus. In fact, 1 Timothy 2, 5 says this, For there is one God. There's not many gods. There is one God. And there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. In other way, words, there is only one way to God, the man, Christ Jesus. This is why Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to God, and that is Jesus. Which, before I go any further, leads to a question that I need to ask. Have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you trusted in Jesus? Right, scripture is very clear. There's not many gods. There's one God. 
There's only one God. I know society says that there's all different types of gods, all different types of religions. They're all equally true. That's not true. There is one God, and there is one mediator between men and and God. That's Christ Jesus. There is only one way to God, and that is Jesus, who came, right? He came from God down. He descended down from heaven. He came. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins, was raised on the third day, and then what did he do? He ascended back up to God. And for those that have faith in him, just like Moses did in the Old Testament— He pleads and intercedes on our behalf. There is only one way to God, and that is belief in Jesus. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Listen, I don't know how much Jethro knew about the coming Messiah, the the seed of the woman, but he did understand Moses' most important job. He was a mediator. And this leads us to our third point this morning. Jethro's wisdom. Jethro's wisdom. The job of mediator for Moses was way too important for him to get distracted on small things. Jethro understood this, and look what he suggests in verse 21. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God and who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burdens with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace." Again, we see that Jethro has a concern, not just for Moses, but for God's people. He says, if you do this, you will be able to endure. You will, you will do well, Moses, and all the people also will go to their place in peace. There's a concern for God's people. So let's look at Jethro's advice, this wisdom that we see. And to be honest, it's very simple, and I think we've probably read this chapter a number of times, never really stopped in and thought about it really in-depthly. It's very simple, but extremely profound at the same time. In fact, the United States government is based off this model. When you think about it, you have the federal government. Under them, you have the states. Then you have counties. Then you have cities. And then you have families. Most conflicts, and I'm going to use this word should because we're seeing that we're going away from this. Most conflicts should be settled in the smallest social grouping possible. This is the vice of Jethro. Again, the end of verse 21 says this, place men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Every greater matter shall, be, or shall bring to you, but any smaller matter they shall decide themselves. Again, this is just a great structure. But Jethro also says that you shouldn't just pick anyone to put in charge. Look at verse 21. He says this, the beginning of it. He says this, Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, men who are trustworthy, and hate a bribe. 
In other words, don't pick men because they're rich. Don't just pick men because they're influential or, or popular or they're your relatives. But instead, he gives four qualifications. The first one is in verse 21. It says this, the first one, look for able men. That word able really has the, the connotation of capable. Right? Men that are capable to do this job, not just any man, but someone that's capable to do this. It, there's something that we have to understand. Not every man is equally gifted. One of the reasons we need each other. It's okay that we're not equally gifted. The gift comes from God. We need each other. Jethro is saying, pick men that are gifted by God to do this job. The second qualification, he says, men who fear God. Now remember, these men are to be judged, and and for a judge, this is extremely important. Because judges are always tempted to fear man over God. To rule in favor of the wealthy, the powerful, the popular. Again, friends and family. Therefore, pick men, Jethro says, who fear God, not man. Third qualification, men who are trustworthy. Men who are trustworthy so that Moses wouldn't have to supervise them all the time. He wouldn't have to micromanage them. He could give them direction and just trust them to get the job done. Because they are trustworthy. The fourth qualification, men who hate a bribe. Now again, these men will be judges. It's pretty important. (laughs) Men who have integrity. That not only won't take a bribe, but hate a bribe. Jethro's, again, his advice is simple but profound. Delegate the responsibilities to men who are qualified, men who fear God, that are integrous, that are capable to do the job, that are trustworthy men. And put these men in charge of thousands, hundreds of fifties and of tens. And then let them judge. In other words, just let them do their job. If they're trustworthy, God-fearing, integrous, if they're capable, then you don't have to micromanage them. Let them do their job. Every greater matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they should decide themselves. Again, this is a really wise advice. I don't believe there's direct application to the church in this passage. But there's definitely principles that we can take from this. The direct application we have for the church is found in the New Testament that we should have a plurality of elders that are trustworthy, God-fearing, godly men. Ephesians 4.11 tells us that, that we are to build up the body to do what? We are to to pour out into you guys so that you will do the works of ministry. It's not on one man's shoulders. There's nothing wrong with a large church, by the way. I know there's a few of you that have been new in the last year or two and have struggled because our church is a little bit larger than the church you've come from. Just remember in Acts, the very first church was 3,000 members. Then it grew to 5,000 members. There's nothing wrong with a larger church, but you need to intentionally place yourself in a smaller group, right, which we call growth groups, (laughs) to be shepherded by someone within that growth group. There's principles. Again, this is not a direct application. This was an application to Jerusalem, but there's wisdom we find in this passage. But this leads me to my fourth point. 
And this is where, really where I wanted to rest this morning. Moses' humility. Now, I was going to title this last point, Moses' response, and it's because I'm very creative in my titles. And I don't know if you've noticed that, but I spend a lot of time on my titles of the points I make. I was going to title this Moses' response because in verses 24 through 27, Moses is responding to Jethro's advice. But what sticks out to me, and I really think what is supposed to stick out in these verses more than anything, is his humility. I mean, just think about it for a second. If there was ever a man that was privileged, it was Moses. God spoke to Moses face-to-face as a man speaks to his friend. Exodus 33, verse 11. That's incredible. He grew up as a a prince. He became the leader of God's chosen people, Israel. He stood up to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, the most powerful man in the world with the most powerful army in the world, and won. Now, of course, it was because of God, but God used Moses. If there was ever a man who had every opportunity to be prideful, it's Moses. I mean, think about it. Here's a Midianite. I don't care if he's related. Here comes a pagan priest, most likely a new convert, giving Moses advice on how to lead Israel. Moses easily could have told Jethro, who do you think you are to give me advice? Or, thanks Jethro, but I'm Moses. I speak to God face to face. I only listen to him. Or, I'm the one that gives advice Not the other way around, Jethro. But look at Moses' response, verse 24. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Listen, Moses recognized wisdom when he heard it. And he didn't let his pride get in the way of it. Did you hear that? Moses' humility is remarkable. Just think of the leaders of our country. In fact, think of the leaders of of almost any nation. If someone came that was beneath them and gave them advice. Numbers 12.3 says this, Now the man Moses was very meek. The NASB says humble, and that, that Hebrew word can mean meek and humble. That he was humble more than any or more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Now here's an important lesson, and this is a lesson that I want us to hear. Gaining wisdom always starts with humility. Gaining wisdom always starts with humility. You have to be humble enough to realize you need wisdom To gain wisdom. Teenagers, did you hear that? Junior hires, did you hear that? 
Grade schoolers, did you hear that? Let me say it again. You have to be humble enough to realize that you need wisdom to gain wisdom. You will never gain wisdom if you don't first recognize that you need wisdom. This is Proverbs 4, 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Listen, a fool, a fool pridefully thinks he doesn't need wisdom. In fact, a fool thinks he's right and everyone else is always wrong. It's not just me that says this. This is Proverbs twelve fifteen, which says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. I'm just telling you, examine your heart on this one. Under the age of 25 and over the age of 25. Let me just say this. If you, if you find yourself always criticizing others, examine your heart. If you find yourself always criticizing others, if, if, you, if you are always right and everyone else is wrong, you're always right and, and you always know the better way, you know what you probably are? A fool. According to Proverbs twelve fifteen. And you know what else? Most likely, everyone else can see it. Everyone else can see it but you. Moses' humility led to wisdom because he was willing to listen to wisdom. (laughs) Again, youths, if you could just understand this concept, I am begging you, hear this. It will save you from so much pain. Don't listen to what the culture says. Be different. Seek wisdom from godly men and women who have gone before you. Get counsel. Seek, ask questions. Humble yourselves. Verse 25. Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard cases they brought to Moses, but any small matter, they decided themselves. I just want you to think about it. God used, God used the wisdom, the advice from Jethro, a former pagan, And God used the humility of Moses to guide his nation, to bring glory to his name. It's incredible. An amazing, amazing story. Verse 27. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Amazing story. 
and really an amazing chapter in the book of Exodus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that we are not fools. Lord, I pray that, that I am not a fool, that I am not right in my own eyes, that I'm not, not always critical or criticizing others, that I step back and ask good questions, that I seek wisdom, that I look at advice that's given and, and put it against your word. God, I pray that I, that I recognize wisdom like Moses recognized wisdom and that I seek wisdom. I pray that's true for all of us, Lord. God, the beginning of wisdom is to get wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is to, to understand that we need wisdom. Lord, I just pray that the Spirit within our hearts helps us recognize that we need wisdom. I pray that the church is countercultural, that we understand that it's, it's the, the aged, it's the experience, it's those that have sought after you for, for their lives, Lord, that, that has wisdom. And I pray that the youth in our church seeks it out, that they don't wait. They don't wait for the, the elderly to come to them, but they go to the elderly and ask questions, that they seek wisdom. God, I pray that that is all of us. That we understand our need. That we seek after you, Lord. We search the scriptures. Lord, we also listen to those that have gone before us. Be with us as a church. In your son's name. Amen.